Because I told myself, oh, no, 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 that was a long time ago and I've done so much work and that doesn't impact me anymore and et cetera. But actually, we still take pieces of, of that child with us. On today's episode of Everyday Leadership, I have the absolute pleasure of sitting down with dear friend, sis, Miss Aggie Mintuma, who is the CEO of Mahogany Inclusion Partners. She's had an amazing career working for some firms, you know, little ones like Dreams and McDonald's and Argentine Foods, you know, just some, some small little ones like that. She's also an amazing speaker, speaks at CIPD, for example. She's the founder of the Black Inclusion Week, which happens in May. And it's an amazing thing, which I'm sure you'll have heard of by now. She's also an amazing mother of two beautiful daughters. And today we're just going to delve into Aggie and the history behind how she got to where she's got to now. How are you doing? I am good. Thank you, Shopware, and absolutely delighted to be here. You're very kind. So what is the origin story of a younger teenage Aggie? What was, what was that like? Goodness, I am going to go a little bit further back, actually, if that's okay. So one thing is that I don't, I'm not very good at following rules. So <laughs> you'll find that out. That's why we get along. Exactly that, exactly that. So I'm going to start, I'm going to roll back probably to about the age of five or six. I don't quite remember how old I was, but it was definitely a defining moment in my life in a playground. And I remember some unkind words and unkind actions by my uh, fellow children who were in the class with me because of my race and not wanting to play, wanting to play with me and some very unkind words. And I remember, and I distinctly remember at that point in time that I said to myself, whatever I do, I want to make sure that no one ever feels the way that I feel that whatever I do, I make sure that I'm not making somebody else feel the way that I do. And I call that and I see that as a defining moment because as I think about what I do for a living, even as a a people director previously, and also what I understand my purpose to be as a human being, they're all very, very connected. What is that purpose? My purpose, as I understand it, and I always say as I understand it, because we grow, we change, we adapt as we walk through life, don't we? So I'd say my purpose, as I understand it, is to spread love and light. Has it always been the same purpose? You just said as we grow, it changes. So I'm curious, what was it like when you were younger? You know what? I think it's always been the same. I think it has always been the same purpose. I wouldn't have articulated it like that. I wouldn't have understood it like that. And for a long time... I rejected it because I'm fully aware of how the words love aren't really used that much, in, especially in the professional world, even in, in normal life. Isn't it? There are a couple of people you can tell you love, but other than that, that's not a word we use that much with such ease. So for a long time, I rejected it. I thought, no, it can't be that. It can't be that. And it just kept coming up, coming up for me. And examples of that would be I was under hypnosis. I was doing a course in hypnosis and NLP and coaching. Part of it is hypnosis. And I kept repeating the word, I am love, I am love, which is uh, after the thought, what's that? What is that about? And then equally, my daughters and I often have this imagine if conversation and it was around superpowers. What would your superpower be? And for me, the only superpower I really wanted was around spreading love because there wasn't enough love in the world. And I believe It's not the be all and end all. It doesn't fix everything. So I'm not suggesting that. But equally, I think if people love themselves more, realize how awesome they are. If people loved each other more, I think a lot of the issues that we have wouldn't be as prevalent. So I guess I just started connecting all of those dots and getting myself more comfortable with it. And this is from a speaking course that I did again a while ago, which was about what is your purpose? And I had to say, it is, it is love. That's what it is. And yeah, then I got comfortable with it and that's what it is. When you think about love, when you think about the work you do, or even if you go way back to your childhood and people who were unkind to you, there's a natural tendency to be like, well, why would I love these people who are treating me this way? We see a lot of times in today, especially played out in, in social media, where people are very quick to attack other people, counsel other people, speak 
negative things into other people's lives or situations or experiences rather than leaving with with love. So you're coming at that from a complete opposite spectrum, even though if you're having this spectrum I'm just talking about, you, you'd be rightly justified. So how do you get to lead and operate from a space of love as opposed to a place of hate or any other words you want to use to fill that, that gap? I think ultimately, where do I go first? I think I'll go to, I'll go to the beautiful piece first. So I think as human beings, I think we are beautiful. We are capable of such love, such amazing things, such ingenuity, all these beautiful things that we are as human beings. And I believe that every single human being has that in them. I also think that we're capable of some not very nice stuff, some unkindness, some awful stuff as well. And a lot of that, I believe, experience has has taught me the courses, the workshops, the education I've given myself has taught me that as well, is that a lot of that love and kindness and warmth is hidden under stuff. Let's just call it stuff. Stuff sometimes that we tell ourselves that isn't true, stuff that society tells us that might not be true as well. And then that does lead us to the unkind places. And I think that helps me. And also my faith, I am a woman of God. And One of the uh, verses that often runs through my mind is, you know, forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. And I do believe that if we realize that what we're doing is wrong, if we knew better, we would do better. We're all on different journeys, we're all on different parts of our journeys. And yeah, so I guess the kindness helps. And I think as a person, my own spirit and how my spirit operates and who I am, I feel better. I feel more authentic. I feel more hopeful if I'm leading with love. Do I get upset? Of course. Do I get angry? Of course. Do I sometimes have home talk? I call it home talk about certain situations. Yes, I do. And then once I get that out of my system, I go back to leading with love. Because I think often if you see the human in front of you, what's going on for them? What are they scared of? What are they worried about? What is their challenge that they're trying to grapple with in this walk of life? It, yeah, it helps me go back to that place of leading with love. And you mentioned kindness and One thing that I've observed is sometimes it's a lot easier to be kind to other people than it is to yourself, especially when you're someone who's had some of those negative self-talks that you've you've talked about or other people have said stuff to you, which you've kind of taken on board. How are you kind to Aggie? It took work. And I think, you know, I can sort of fast forward, I guess, to to the teen years uh, to actually answer your first question that you asked me. But I think, you know, growing up in the UK as a black child wasn't always easy. You would see what I would growing up or spend some some of my childhood on a council estate. I'd see the words NF, you know, graffitied on walls. My neighbor was a chapter lead of the of the NF. That was interesting. So often his friends would be outside and they'd scream horrible things and the N-word and go home and all these things that you'd hear growing up. And I think, I think again, I'm going to come back to my to my faith as well. There was always something that told me that the stuff I was hearing wasn't for me. It wasn't who I am. It wasn't fair. It wasn't right because I'd look at who I was and how I was. I knew I was a good person, really hilarious, although my daughters don't think so. (laughs) And, you know, that piece around spreading love and spreading light was always there, although I wouldn't call it that. So I think I learned at quite an early age to deflect a lot of these things. So they'd come in and be like, okay, that's nice. That's not for me. Not suggesting that all of it, that all of it deflected because some would seep in. And then later on in life, I guess there was a lot of work. I did a lot of work, a lot of soul searching about who I was as a person. Before I had my daughters when I was pregnant with my first child, I said to myself, right, who do I want to be as a parent? I've seen versions of parenthood, which we won't necessarily go into today. And I knew that there had to be an Aggie version of, of parenthood. But what did that mean and what did that look like? So I read up on child psychology, what works for children, what's the best way, how do you raise them? And what's the, how do you help build their strength and their Self-love, I suppose. And then I crafted my version of, I'm going to call it my version of parenthood. So yeah, lots of self-work, uh, uh, self-work reflection, which continues today. I still reflect on conversations I have. And love doesn't mean, I want to say this, love, especially in leadership, doesn't mean that you're not giving direction. It doesn't mean that you're not expecting high performance. It doesn't mean that you're not setting boundaries. It doesn't mean any of, any of those things. If anything, in my view, with my HR background, a version of love and kindness in the workplace is being very clear about what you want from someone in their role, what the outcomes are that are expected, 
what you're going to do to support that person to deliver that. But equally, what are they going to put the ball in their court? What are you going to do to meet these standards that we're talking about as well? And then if they're slipping, have the conversation. But again, that love leading with love piece makes me say, and I've been in that place recently, actually, around, okay, I need to give this person some feedback. I know that they have great intentions, but they're not hitting the mark right now. Let me reflect on what I can do as a leader, maybe what I've missed. Also, let's have the conversation with them. Here's what I'm seeing. Here's what I'm thinking. What do you think? And then how can we make it our problem and then move forward? So, yeah. I think that's a really, really important way of looking at leading with with love because Thing, even when you talk about organizations or think about HR, talking about love, people are like, ooh, we can't do that. We can't, we can't talk about those topics. But the way you just kind of broken that down, it's a really important attribute. And actually, if you had cultures that function the way that you just described, i.e. leaders creating that kind of culture for their employees and for their people, I think the workforce would be very radical from where it is right now. Because a lot of those things that organizations are looking for around innovation, growth, productivity come from people and you need to create the best environment for people to be able to show up and that comes from leading with love and approaching it very very differently so i i love that with your background in in hr and mentioned you work for some amazing companies like mcdonald's Mothercare, tesco what are some of the defining moments that you can recall in your career your corporate career basically Lord. Okay. There are many. So I think I'll start with the Arcadia group, which is 20 odd years ago. Jeez. <laughs> Ages me when I say that. And it feels like yesterday, but it was about 20 odd years ago. And I think I, one of the defining moments for me was uh, looking at the HR profession and at the very junior levels, seeing a lot of women, seeing a lot of people of color. But then as you looked at the management levels, the heads of, and then we get to directorship, uh, the gender balance just switched almost completely uh, upturned, which was which I thought was really interesting. But then equally the ethnicity uh, or ethnic diversity, well, just dwindled really basically. And I remember thinking to myself at that point in time, we're the people field, we are the people function, we're the conscious of the organizations. We lead on a lot of these things around human-centered approaches, around actually your people are your assets. They're, for most organizations or a lot of organizations, the people aspect is the biggest line in terms of cost. You know, So actually, we have so much influence to support the business to win, to support the business to, to achieve its goals through its people. So if we can't get it right, if we are in a place where gender diversity is not in the right place or any kind of other diversity, to be fair, ethnicity, diversity, the LGBTQ plus community, disability, if that's not in the right place for us as a profession, there's not much hope really for the rest really is is there. So I think that was definitely a defining moment for me, just reflecting on that. And I think at the time I was was actually undertaking my master's in HR. So a lot of those conversations around strategy were happening alongside my experience and what I was seeing as well. I think another another defining moment for me was when I got to an HR director role and was when I was close to there as well, is that I guess often titles blind us, don't they? Titles blind, oh, that's a great role. Or they must be this or they must have everything sorted. They must understand everything. The fact is we're all on journeys, <laughs> different journeys for different reasons at different parts of our lives. And I think that was definitely defining for me, if we go back to that first question around being kind to ourselves as well, I am now in a place where I know I don't know a lot about many things. I know lots of things about many things, but there are lots of things I don't know as well. So my approach is I'm, I'm curious. I want to learn. So even if it goes down to someone's performance, I'm curious, what else could we do? What don't I know yet? How can I help? Uh, when we're talking about a business issue, here are the things I do know and here are the things I can definitely give my expertise expertise to and here are the insights I can definitely support you with. But actually tell me, what do you want for this organization? What's important for you? What's happening for you as an organization? But, so that curiosity piece is definitely something that stayed with me from one of those experiences. If you haven't already, can you please follow the podcast? It really helps us grow and it tells the apps that it's a podcast worth listening to which the fact that you're listening to means that it is and other people need to know about it. In Apple Podcast, if you click the three dots in the top right 
of your app. Look for the follow button and click on it. And in Spotify, the follow button should be just below the show's artwork. Now let's get back into today's episode. I love what you were saying around <laughs> titles blind us. It's interesting. Titles are attractive. Like titles are something you like when you're like, oh, I want to become a director, a VP, a CEO, wherever it is. And that's the level that you aspire to. But there is a there's a cost to the title. And when you're talking about titles blindness, that's literally what what kind of came up for me. That that's not spoken about enough around even if you do get the titles, what does that create? What does that blind you from being able to see or being able to act or maneuver in a particular way? So I think it's a, it's a really important point that you made there. Yeah. And I think they come with all these expectations, isn't it? So when you're looking at it and it's, you know, hindsight is always amazing, isn't it? But when you're looking at it from a, you know, I want to be there. I want to have that ambition. You're assuming a level of, they know everything. You're also assuming a level of fulfillment from that. When I get there, I know know I've arrived or I'll know that I've achieved or whatever that is. But actually when you do get there, all of those other things you had with you in the more junior role, they're still there. You're still thinking to yourself, okay, will I get found out perhaps? Or do I really deserve to be here? Or what if I make a mistake and they want me to know everything, but I don't know everything. I should know everything. So all these things are still there. Well, there are things that you you worried about along your career because you talked about that journey, going through that journey and still going through that journey because we are all works in progress consistently learning about ourselves. But are there things as you rose up in your career you felt I need to know this. This is a this is a must. This is a foundation point for me. And it might not be the truth, but you just you just personally felt I need to know this. Um, I think the things I thought I needed to know, I did need to know. So I think for me as as an HR and people profession, it was always been important for me to connect to the why. And my team hear me say that all the time. What's the why? Let's start there and then, you know, reverse engineer backwards. So why does this organization exist, as an example? Exist to whatever it is that exists to do. And ultimately, it's a commercial entity, right? And I have not worked for any charities yet as an as a, as a internal person. So it's a commercial entity. So what, the, what does that mean for what I do as, as an individual which is look after people, blah, blah, blah. So making those connections to, to, the, to the business case. So I think one thing I always said to myself, I need to know, and even now I still carry that through with my clients, is really understanding the purpose of the organization and what are the key drivers, what's the business speak of the, of the organization as well, what are the C-suite leaders, what are their challenges that they're thinking about, and then how do I, in my role as a people professional, support, feed in, build on that so we can do that together. So I think that's one thing I've always said I need to know and always encourage my team, whether it was internally or as a consultancy, uh, to do the same. What else? What else? What else? Definitely, I think the, the piece around knowing their people, not the title, not the function, but the people themselves. So often I would uh, surprise people by asking one of the first things, oh, tell me about you. Oh, this is the job I do. I've been here for this many years. Awesome. Let's come back to that. I definitely want to hear that. But who are you? You know, share what you feel comfortable sharing, but who is you outside of work and what's really important for you and what are your values if you've you've connected to those? So that piece around really getting to know the person. Because again, a lot of those pieces around potential imposter syndrome or fitting in and all these things, they're happening for a lot of different people in different ways. So being able to lower that, spread some love, I guess, is what I'm trying to do, is really important. Did you find it hard? In fact, I'm going to fuggle to Mahogany Partner, Inclusion Partners. You started another business before this where you were running dolls, black dolls. Can you share a bit more about how that came about and what that was like holding that down? And you were still working full time at that point in time as well. Yes. Yes, I was. So um, Black Beauty Dolls, it was called at the time. And um, as I mentioned before, when I was pregnant with my first daughter, I did a lot of reading and self-studying around child psychology, etc. And one of the things I came across was, especially in the formative years, but definitely later, representation matters. See the link? 
nice little golden thread going through everything that I do. So that representation piece is really important in your children's toys, in your children's books, in the programs that they watch, etc. The puzzles, whatever it is that, that that's around them. And as I looked around, there wasn't much at the time. And my daughter's 16 now on her way to 17. So if you think almost 18-ish years ago, if I've done my maths right, maybe 17 years ago, the options, the choices just, just were not there. And for a little while, I had friends and family in the States. So they'd send me dolls because I said, well, my daughters need to have dolls that reflect them because they need to understand that actually they're beautiful. And if I rewind back to my own experience growing up, the couple of dolls that I had were blonde, blue-eyed, you know, white dolls. So I'd look at that. Okay, that's pretty. That's beautiful. Oh, look at the advert over there. That's pretty. That's beautiful. Another blonde, you know, blue eyes. Let's look at the covers of the magazines. So instinctively, that means I'm not because I don't have straight blonde hair. I don't have white skin and I don't have blue, blue eyes. Did not want that for my daughters. So initially it was my friends sending dolls, my family sending dolls. But then I started thinking, well, other people must be thinking the same thing. Did a bit of research, then then started uh, Black Beauty Dolls. And I am a very spiritual, spiritual person. The name actually came to me in a dream, Black Beauty Dolls. So I was like, yeah, cool. That's the name of the organization. And as the name suggests, <laughs> I would say we sold dolls of different ethnicities, to be fair. It was, it was, they weren't just black dolls, but there were baby dolls, there were fashion dolls. I, I even developed one myself, which is just amazing. It was a labor of love. I drew it, designed it, a little black ballerina plush doll thing. I found a manufacturer in China, got all the CE number things that you need to get. And it was beautiful. It was beautiful. I'd go to fairs and it was never, it was never going to be my number one job. It was more of a labor of love because I knew I was helping parents diversify their children's toys. And one of the things, and one of my friends actually pinpointed it back then, she said, she thought she's a white woman and she loved one of the statements in our About Us um, piece, which was, this is definitely about diversifying children's toys, but it's, it's also for white children because their toys should reflect the world that they actually live in as well. So again, I think the words inclusion were in there too. So you can see this golden thread. That was Black Beauty Doll. So I rolled that up to start Mahogany. Um, and equally, if you now go to Argos, you can see a broader range of dolls as well. So the need became um, a little bit less as well. You've had a successful career. You are were running a successful Black Doll store. Now you're running a successful organisation, Mahogany Part, Inclusion Partners. And alongside of this, you've been raising your daughters and one thing that I know I definitely hear of with other clients I'm working with people I'm speaking to and I'm sure you see this as well is as women there are times when there's a need to choose either between your career or being a woman or between starting a business raising a family and all those kind of different elements how have you been able to step into all these spaces and do them successfully while still raising your kids? Hmm. I am uh, naturally a multitasker. <laughs> I think it's probably the best answer uh, to that. I, and I want to call it a blessing because it is, it is a blessing in lots of different ways. I'm able to turn my attention to many different things and uh, give them the energy, et cetera, that they need. So if I, if I think career-wise, um, I think most of it is loving what you do. Um, so my career as a people professional before, um, the, uh, before mahogany, again, felt vocational to me. And I often, often described it as vocational because people spend so much time at work. And I remember growing up and even as a, as an adult hearing people talking about their challenges at work, they hate work and oh no, it's Monday. And in my mind, I thought, well, gosh, we spend so much of our waking time there pre-COVID. How do we make this place, this experience, a nice experience for people and help the business win because everyone's engaged so again, I could always connect that purpose of what I was doing as an HR professional. As a mother, probably don't need to say it, but I can definitely connect to the uh, purpose of what I'm doing as a mother and, you know, instilling my daughters with the love and connection and support that they need. And then if you fast forward to Mahogany, again, our purpose is to make the world a more inclusive place. And that's definitely something that um, I connect with as well. So I think as long as I've got the passion for something, as long as I feel it here, I uh, am able to, to make it work. Is it easy? I'm not going to suggest that it's always easy. There have been times, especially at the earlier parts of Mahogany, when it was just me, where I would not have much sleep 
And I'm literally living on coffee the next day because I've decided to do something. I've decided to sort out my website or I've decided to write a brochure or write a program. But I can always look back on it and think, awesome, this is great. I'm making the world a more inclusive place. Or if I've had to stop working to spend time with my daughters, awesome, because we've just played Monopoly and it was a beautiful time that we had together. One more thing I'm going to add, actually, because I have two daughters. One thing I've always been intentional about and made sure I do is give them space and time on their own, where it's just about them. So we have dates. So they'll pick where we go. And it tends to be a restaurant because I guess we like food. Um, they'll pick and it's just all about that one particular girl, whichever, whichever one of my daughters it is, will talk or not, because apparently teenagers don't like talking to their parents. But that's okay. <laughs> we, can just, we can just sit and look at your TikToks and things, whatever it is, whatever it is that you want. And then also we have a safe space conversation as well, where just like I do with my clients, I say, right, honey, this is a safe space for you. I'm like, oh, great. And the first time I was like, oh, am I allowed to swear? Okay, if you want to, what do you want to talk to me about? What do you think I'm doing that isn't working that well for you? Let's talk about it. And having those conversations, even at a very early age, and again, owning the problem together. So honey, this you I need you to go to bed at a certain time because remember when you don't go to bed you're tired oh yeah okay so what should, what do you think we need to do what will make it easier for you to do what do I need to do but also what will you do that's a very different way of parenting that I know I grew up with and I know you grew up with <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> and I know you talked earlier on around you spent some time reading and all that but even that intention of I want to do something differently listen to you talk about the relationship you have with your daughters and completely flipping all of that is not easy thing to do not only is it hard to recognize that you need to do something different but then to intentionally do something about it that's another level or layer that requires a lot of you and it's not like you are you have the space and time where you be like I'm not working have time to think about this you're still working in a high pressure, high paced other career or, or organization that you're running, you still got deliveries with clients and you're still creating time and space to think about this. Why were you so intentional around the way that you brought up your children and, and modeled this beautiful example you've just given us? You know, relationships are very important to me. And if you're going to, you know, if you're going to rank then clearly the, the baby, well, for me, I say clearly, for me, the, the babies, as I call them, are going to be the most important relationship, relationship for me definitely right now because I am their mother, right? They're one mother and all these defining moments I know are really important, A, from my studying of child psychology, but B, also from my own lived experience. I think what I'll say is had my parents known different and known better, I think they would have been different parents. Uh, take from that what you will. There would have been different parents. I think there's also that element as well around, I understand the impact of a busy parent. I understand the impact of an absent parent. I understand the impact of a parent who's maybe not grounded in who they are or secure or happy in who they are and the impact that that, that can have. So, you know, a lot of people talk about breaking cycles and things like that. For me, it was, I'm going to just going to make a new cycle. I'm just going to make a different cycle. It wasn't about breaking something. I'm like, no, I'm not about breaking, I'm about building. So I'm going to make a new cycle. And is it easy? No. There are times when, you know, my daughter's like, oh, let's go to, to the brace or let's go to the beef eater. And I'm thinking, eh, they don't really serve what I want. <laughs> or, or, or I'm thinking, I have this email I need to send or I've got this thing, but it's like, okay, okay, honey, let's go. Close the laptop. Mm-hmm. Let's go. Let's do it. And I, and I never, never regret it. Never regret it. Even though I come back later and do the email or do whatever I need to do once they've gone to bed, I, I, I never regret it. You always put them first. You always prioritize them. I don't know if I'd said always put them first. I think had you asked me that about three years ago, I'd said, yes, I always put them first. But one thing I did learn, and I'm still sometimes battling with, is boundaries. So boundaries is something I've been working on for, for mo- most recently. And what I've come to recognize is that you cannot fill, you can't pour from an empty cup. And you know what? It's okay. They're at their age where sometimes I can say, do you know what, honey? 
mommy needs to send this email. I need to send this email right now. I will come back to you in a moment. You know, are you safe? You're not breaking, you know, anything? Yeah, okay, good. Let me know where you're going to be in the house and I'll come and find you. We had this system, especially at the beginning of lockdown, where if they came into the room when I was on a call, for me, it was always coming. It was never, oh my gosh, get out. You know, people are here. It was a, there's a post-it note, there's a pen on the side here. Pick it up, write down what it is that you need from me. Let me know where you're going to be and I'll come find you when I'm finished. So there's, there's, there's always room and space for my children, no matter what I'm doing. Even if it's a client, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's my daughter. Hi, honey. And that's it. And then they can go and do what they need to do. But equally, they also know that sometimes actually mommy is also a human being. And I also need some rest and recuperation as well. They're a priority, but not always first. When you do the level of introspection, it sounds like you do. Do you ever find it scary to sit with yourself and explore this, this different themes that are coming up for you and going deep that it sounds like you do already? I think it's so cool. <laughs> it's the first time I heard someone say it's cool. <laughs> no, it really, no, do you know what? It really is. And, and I say that because I think I'm a person, I like discovering stuff. I like my personality is very much like newness. Newness is great, you know, so discovering, learning, self-development, all that is, is definitely me. I'm reflecting back to May. I was still in June, so it's actually last month. And I went away on my own, which I started doing more of. If you'd asked me to do that a few years ago, I'd be like, oh no, what do I do on my own? But now I like spending time in solitude, not lonely, but in solitude, just doing a lot of that reflection. And I was reading a book about boundaries and how we set them and also what drives some of our thinking and some of our behaviors. And yeah, I came to quite a few, I want to call them revelations, a bit dramatic, but that's the word that's in my mind right now. But I came to a few revelations just about how connected elements of my childhood are with who I am today. Because I told myself, oh, no, 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 that was a long time ago and I've done so much work and that doesn't impact me anymore and et cetera. But actually, we still take pieces of, of that child with us. So I actually really enjoy it. I sometimes almost look at it as meeting someone new, not that I'm a completely different person, by the way, but just discovering different elements of me and then testing things sometimes. So I'll be like, oh, I'm going to try this new boundary thing. I'm going to say no to someone who I don't usually say no to. And I'll do it. And then I'll reflect, oh my gosh, that was so cool because it worked and they're fine. Nothing's broken. We've still got a great relationship, but I've said no. And I feel good because I'm not bending myself backwards. So yeah, I actually quite enjoy it. Sounds odd, doesn't it? But yeah, I do. You find it hard, hard or easy to have boundaries? I'm finding it easier beforehand. I think for me, and it's that understanding of what love is, isn't it? And, and what being a good person is, et cetera. So I think for me, love was, that means I'm there a hundred percent always. If there's any inch left of me, I can give it and I will give it. That's what my understanding was, but I am understand. So it was hard. It was hard to put boundaries. I thought boundaries, what do you mean? Boundaries and love don't go together. Like I actually thought that, but now I definitely understand the power of boundaries. Uh, they actually give you more. So your cup is full, so you can pour from it. And also, what I also recognize is that my daughters are watching. So while I'm pouring into them and pouring into them, pouring into them, they see it, they feel it, they love it. Obviously that's great for them. But I also, what I need to understand is that they're probably taking in that that's how you love and that then might set them up for not the healthiest behaviors all the time as well. Uh, so I'm, I, and I talk to my daughters actually about my journeys, not all the detail clearly, but I'm like, ah, oh, honey, so this, I tried this and guess what happened? And Honey, you know, if you think, if you're feeling something, if something's not working for you, you need to let people know in a respectful way. Like it's not about being rude or pointing fingers, but find a way to let people know how you're feeling and what you're thinking. Understand your struggle because here's how I felt. But what I found is blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And then celebrating them when they do, which is great. Do you find it easy to celebrate yourself? Because I know I personally don't. And it's one of the hardest things that I, I am still struggling with and I'm, I'm working on, work in progress. So I'm curious for someone like you. And the reason why I say that Aggie is one of the biggest cheerleaders out there. Like she, she would she would cheerlead you and, and push you up and encourage you. So for you, do you do exactly the same thing for yourself? No, no, not at all. And it's something that I reflected on. May that was that was some deep holiday that I went on, wasn't it? The <laughs> um, <laughs> reason for that, and maybe part of the introspection, was that I was actually nominated for uh, an award, 
part of the process about the nomination is that you've got to think about your challenges that you've overcome and what you've achieved and almost like show your receipts. So show us some links for this, show us some links for that. And when I first got the nomination, I ignored it. I was just like, oh, you know, I'm just doing what I do. I don't need a thing. And that's a bit embarrassing. And I haven't done anything that great. So why have I got this nomination? I actually ignored it for a couple of weeks. And then I told one friend and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's amazing. And then she put it on LinkedIn, <laughs> which was really sweet, actually. Then I said to myself, actually, do you know what? Had it been somebody else who I care about, I would have been like, oh my gosh, it's amazing. Like you said, and I'm like, tell everyone, put it on LinkedIn, get them to vote and everything else. So I did. And, oh, and then another friend did the same as well. And she put it on LinkedIn. Like, okay, fine, I'll put it on. Yeah, no, no. It's definitely something that I don't find easy. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's something to, I think it is something to work on because again, I think when we shine our light, so it's Marianne Johnson, love that poem. When we shine our own light, we give others the permission, I guess, to do the same because people are watching. And if it's not my babies, it's other people maybe coming up in their careers or maybe even people who've already come up in their careers, but we're all letting each other's light shine. So yeah, working on it, working on it. What would you say has been the biggest challenge that you've had to overcome in your, either your career or your professional journey, should I say, so far? There are many, many challenges, I suppose. But I think the biggest battles or challenges we have tend to be with ourselves, right? And with our own growth. And I think mine is definitely that piece I talked about where, you know, love was, oh, yeah, I'm open. I can give anything and everything. But then equally, my reaction, my response, when I didn't feel I was getting that back, I just recognize when I look back, I'm like, mm, okay, that was some interesting thinking there, Aggie, or there's some interesting responses that you had there. And one particular one I have, which I'm working on right now, so I'm sharing, is um, when uh, people don't necessarily do what they say they're going to say, what they do what they said they're going to do. So that reliability commitment piece. But what I also recognize is that when I look at myself and what I could have done differently is that I'm not the best at laying parameters down for certain things. So I may communicate, you know, yeah, if you can get it to me by that, that would be great. I'd rather than this is the day that I need it by. Does that work for you? And what's the eyes? Tell me yes or no kind of thing. So I recognize my piece in that as well. So that is something I'm working on with my team, definitely around being very clear around what's needed when and why and explaining the why and then giving the, the opportunity to say, does that work for you? Does that not work for you? If it doesn't, it's fine. Let's reprioritize other stuff. So I guess I'm a bit loosey-goosey, <laughs> I suppose. And that's something that I'm working on. Ah, some doesn't sound loosey-goosey to me at all. It sounds quite intentional. Even being able to name it and focus on it is quite important. So that's quite good. And when you think about Mahogany Inclusion Partners, what's the vision what would you want to see happen through the organization that you have brought to life? I think it's, it's, it's our purpose, isn't it? It's, and our purpose is, like I said, you know, making the world a more inclusive place. And the beautiful thing is that I feel like we're living it. We're doing it. We are, yeah, we're already making the world a more inclusive place, which is such a beautiful, beautiful place to be. I asked the team to look at an impact report for us, we haven't published it and we haven't finished doing it yet. So I'm not really financial. I mean, I can do finances. I'm not saying I can't do them. I can do finances. I can do all of that, but that's not what drives me. It's lovely because it allows me to live a certain life, but that's not what drives me. What really drives me is that piece around, are we making the world a more inclusive place? Are we helping leaders to walk in their power? Because I think a lot of us don't walk in our power, don't realize how great we are, but there's HR leaders who don't understand that we are holding the people experience in our hands and we can make it awesome and therefore help the business win. Whether it's the leaders who are too worried or scared to have certain conversations because they don't want to upset someone, but they don't realize that by not having the conversation, their people don't realize how much they actually care about them. Whether it's the person who doesn't understand language around maybe privilege or microaggressions and they're not having the conversations. The fact that we're able to loosen minds and make a lot of these conversations more comfortable and therefore change the way people show up. It's amazing. Amazing. So, yeah, I think we're living in our, in our purpose. We're walking in our purpose. And I love that. Are there any big, I want to say visionary objectives rather than goals that you would like to achieve? 
Hmm. Hmm. So the goals that we'll if as I think about where we are and the conversations we're having as a team, our goals are centered around sort of stuff that we've spoken about, uh, Shopware. So around serving our clients better, like how how do we do that? How do we continue to have these conversations? How do we continue to support them with the strategies and their learning and development, serve them better and make that experience just an awesome experience for them? Uh, so that's one, one of the, the big goals uh, that we have. And the other one actually links to um, what we've just spoken about around singing our own praises. So how do we tell our story? Isn't it great how like the connection within the business and, and my thinking as well, but with it, with, and it's not intentional, by the way, that just happened and it's just come to my mind now. But that piece on how do we tell our story? How, how do we share that story about who we are and how we are and why we are? And then the other piece is around how do we take that loosening of minds, that building of comfort, that building of that muscle to have those tough conversations because they lead to a better place. How do we take that outside of the confines of the of organizations? So I think a lot of us are blessed that we work in organization we work in organizations who invest in this. But actually from a societal point of view, a lot of people don't work in organizations that invest in that knowledge building, et cetera. So how do we take that expertise outside of that? So yeah, so those I guess are the are the three the three big things that we're thinking about. There's a piece this is fresh in my mind because of the work some of the work I've been I've been doing today. So I thought, you know what, I'm talking to Aggie, so I'm going to ask the question: How do you let someone go? So how do you fire someone, but make them an advocate rather than an adversary? The reason I'm asking there is I'm having a lot of conversations around this recently, and it's annoying and frustrating as I'm seeing certain organizations just let people go in the worst possible way. And I'm like, I know from experience, this could be done so much better. And there are ways where even in that difficulty of letting someone go, you can, you can still be kind. You can still be empathetic. You can still build some bridges and and connections. I've had people I fired years ago and two, three years ago, I ended up working with them and bring them back on because we had that relationship still. So from someone who has a lot of experience in in HR and running your company now, how do companies get that right? I think how companies get that right is remembering there's a human at the end of the conversation. Yes, there may be reasons why we need to part ways, and that may be financial in that the business is not going where we want it to go. That may be performance, and sometimes it is performance, and I think it's okay to, to lean into that. There's I think the worst thing you can do for someone is to have them underperform for a really long time, either recruit around them or figure it out because that's just not a great place for either of you. So I think whatever the reason is, I think it's about how do we keep this or how do we keep this at a level where we're talking about another human with emotions, with feelings, with bills, with fears, with all of all of, all of these things as well. And then it's transparent conversations. And I often would coach leaders who'd say, well, can I tell them this? I'm like, well, is it true? Yes, it is. Yes, tell them, tell them. Oh my gosh, I feel awful, blah, blah, blah. Do you think they know that you feel awful? Nope, I had my big boy pants on. I just went in like this and I just told them. I was like, yeah, but how do you think that felt? Just having big boy pants robot person telling them that they haven't got a job anymore and not showing any kind of care. How do you think that might have felt for them? Oh yeah. So again, so it's be human. You know, you are a human being, be human. If this was your friend, you were giving bad news. How would you approach that? You know, and how would you uh, come across and what level of um, empathy and understanding would you would you uh, communicate? Does that always work? No, because nobody necessarily likes being told that they haven't got a job anymore. But I think especially with this performance and, and I've had this where uh, similarly, I've had to say to someone, do you know what? I think there are so many things that you do really well. But we have had conversations and make sure you've had the conversations, by the way. We have had conversations about the thing. This is what we agreed. I've done what I you asked me to do. I've done what I committed to doing. What do you think? Is it working? Mm-hmm. Most of the time, if you've had the conversation, people can be quite open and say, yeah, I know it's not working. And you can still part with love. You can still part with, with respect. And I have had that situation a couple of times where people have said, well, have you got anything else open? I understand I'm not great at that role, but remember I was great at this. Do you have anything else? And that's a beautiful place to be, right? Because then I think the proof is that you did part with love and you did part in, in hopefully a respectful way. When you made that phrase of put your big boy pants on, I'm going to have a conversation like, <laughs> 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 no, seriously. <laughs> but I guess 
it is, it is the reality. It is the reality that that's what tends to happen, how people tend to look at things. So this word professional that yeah. people people take to the workplace. A professional doesn't mean you suddenly become, you know, non-human. Professional doesn't mean you suddenly don't care about people. And actually the best way to achieve, the best way to win as an, as an organization, as a leader is through those relationships. Not that you have to be besties, but I think that care and that, that understanding is really important. If you are enjoying listening to this episode, can you do me a huge favor? Follow the podcast. It really helps us grow and it tells the apps that's the podcast worth listening to. You can do that in Apple Podcasts by clicking on those three dots in the top right of your app. Look out for the follow button and just click on it. If you're listening on Spotify, the follow button should be just below the show's artwork. You can click on that and you can follow that. We really appreciate you supporting Everyday Leadership. How do you define leadership? Hmm, define leadership. So I would say that I think leadership is about giving people the why. Living, breathing that why in an authentic way is what I'd say. So you're setting the vision. This is where we're going, everyone. And that's the bit that's probably non-negotiable, perhaps. I want to say perhaps. But actually how we get there Together, we can shape that together. And yes, there might be some steering and there may be some, you know, pivoting if we're look, maybe going off track a little bit. But my role is that vision, that end game, that, that, you know, that where we're going, how we get there is up to all of us. And we're all invested and we all have a voice. And you know what? If you tell me you don't like something, that is cool. That is great because I need to reflect on that and think, ah, oh, what do I feel about that? Okay, how do we make it better? So, yeah, so I think that was a really long description, which you can completely shorten (laughs) if you want to. But I think leadership is vision, where we're going, where we're headed, that visionary piece, and then going together with your team to get there. What's been, should I say enjoyable? Yeah. What's been the most enjoyable part of your career today? I would say, well, for lots of different reasons, I suppose. I'd say... The beginning was super enjoyable, just from a working in London, going out, partying and go home, shower, come back into work and the next day, ching, let's carry on and let's do that again. So enjoyable from that point of view. And that was sort of straight out of uni, first time being a grown up and that kind of thing. So, you know, definitely love that. And then I would say, I guess I'm bookending, I suppose, isn't it? I'd say now. And I say now because... The, my purpose as a human, as I understand it at the moment, and the purpose of the organization and the work that we're doing and the impact we're having are so beautifully aligned that it often doesn't even feel like work. You know, I will sometimes, and I'm sorry for people, and everyone should look after their well-being and do, do it in a way that works for them. But I'll often find myself on a Saturday thinking, I really want to do that thing. I really want to work on that thing. And I'm like, it's bring the love that the girls are sleeping. Oh, let's do some work. It doesn't feel like work. It really doesn't feel like work. And even I hear my daughters talking about the fact that, oh, mommy, it's so great that you love your work. So I guess I exude it. I talk about it. So, yeah, so I'd say definitely, definitely now. And then when I hear my daughters regurgitating some stuff, because they hear me because I I work a lot at home and they're talking about conversations they have with their friends or their teachers. I'm just like, oh, my gosh, proud mommy moments because (laughs) um, they are. They're taking it on board. They're hearing it. They they watch, don't they? It's not necessarily what we tell them. It's what we do and what they see that they take on board. So I, I absolutely love that. I absolutely love that. And when I hear clients saying things like this, I was really not looking forward to this. It's so funny. Like on a lot of sessions, if people say, I wasn't looking forward to this. I think they assume they're going to get told off or something. <laughs> I wasn't looking forward to this, but it's given me a really new way of looking at things. And I wasn't looking forward to this, but now I get it. I understand it or when you have a CEO saying, Aggie, after that session, I went home, I spoke to my, uh, spoke to my family and we, I was teaching them, I was telling them what you said. It's amazing because, yes, we impact the people in front of us, we impact their organisations, we impact their people. But there's this beautiful ripple effect, isn't it, around talking to my family, talking to my friends and, yeah, I love it. That, that speaks into the logo of the polarity of leading self, leading others. 
that the leading self is the individual piece, then the others is that multiplier effect that flows all the way through where you can have that one-to-many kind of relationship, which you have one-to-one with your clients, for example, and it ripples all the way throughout the organization, or you can have it with, with your daughters and different things like that. You're both working in yourself and that flowing into how you're, you're showing up as, as a mother. So, and I'm curious, how do you manage to look after you? Because you just talked about how much you love the work that you do. It doesn't feel like work. And I know then that can lead into the danger of you can do it so much that you find it hard to switch off because it doesn't feel like work. So I'm, how do you look after you? Yeah, that is, that is a challenge to be honest with you. And it can be a challenge and it has been a challenge for me, definitely. But I think it's, it's that intentionality piece. Definitely. So the solo holidays definitely help. While I might do a little bit, I, I still do, but still do bring my laptop and I have on occasion said to a client, I'll meet you. I'm on holiday, but I'll meet you. So <laughs> I'll meet you with my glass. With my cocktail. No, I don't meet clients with cocktails. What I say to myself is that I know I need this so that I can be um, great at, um, you know, being, being present for my daughters so that I can do this, like in whatever it is. So I'll, I'll tell, have that conversation with myself. So I'll have the client meeting. I'll close the laptop. Then I'll go and enjoy the sun. Um, so that's, that's what I do. And even next week, I'm trying to count the, yeah, next week, um, it's my birthday. So I'm thinking, am I going to do a nice spa? The, the, the thing that I would normally do, uh, so here's my boundaries at play is, oh, make sure to spend some time with the family. Let's do this. Let's get lots of people together because they want to celebrate with me. But I'm like, actually, I think I, what I, what I'd like is to spend the day at the spa. So I'm probably going to do that as well. So I think I'm listening to myself more, I'm giving myself permission to, um, to do what works for me, not in a horrible, selfish way, but in a, in a way that replenishes so I can be awesome for others and being intentional about those solo trips. Beautiful. I love it. And I appreciate everything that you do. Like I said, Aggie is amazing. Amazing cheerleader, amazing practitioner from the work that she does with the organization, the talks that she gives. So if you definitely want to check them out, work with them, the show notes will include the website links. It will include Aggie's LinkedIn contacts. And she has a lot of great content on LinkedIn as well, which you can definitely tap into. But this is someone who, when we talk about authenticity, she is living that day in and day out. So highly, highly recommend you check her out. Thank you. Thank you so much. It has been a pleasure. This is Everyday Leadership and we'll see you next week. Here's a quick preview of who we've got coming up in next week's episode. Make sure you're following the show so you don't miss out on this amazing guest. It's no good to my client if I am unable to do a good job because I'm so vexed I've taken my off the ball. That's not to say I, I can't be vexed. One thing I do during the week is I go for a run. And most days after each run, I upload a video on LinkedIn. Normally about two or three minutes. So if you want to get a little bit size information as to what's going on in my head after that run, check me out on LinkedIn. Just type in my name, S-O-P-E-A-G-B-E-L-U-S-I, and you'll find me. And you can tap into some more content outside of everyday leadership.